Well, hello and good morning. So good to see all of you. Welcome. Are you feeling good? You glad to be in church today? Come on. We made it through the ice age, the two-day ice age. Wasn't that, that was way better than last year, right? Everybody keep water and power. I did. I hope you did. It's good to be with you. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're there. We'd love to see you here next week, but thanks for tuning in in whatever way that you can. Today, we're going to continue on in our series called, I Will Build My Church. And this is basically a series that's exploring how we unlock the power of spiritual family. I have to tell you that as a pastor, I believe this, but here's the deal. It's not because I'm a pastor, it's because I'm a Christian. As a pastor, I'm gonna tell you what I already believe, and that is this, that I really believe Jesus is the greatest hope for the world, and the local church is his plan to reach the broken world. So we are an important part of his plan, and when we talk about the local church, we're talking about you. We're talking about me. We're talking about us. By the way, if you're new here today to this church, as Lindsay said, you can catch us in the guest suite right outside. And if you haven't met me, my name is Nathan. I am one of the pastors here, but I also uh, get the opportunity and really the great privilege to be able to help launch the Liberty Hill Church. And so I just wanna say thank you to all of you for your overwhelming support of me, of my family, and of our team. And I know we've got some of our team in the room today. If you're part of the Liberty Hill launch team, would you just stand on your feet so we, everybody can meet you and let's give it up for them. And they've all been working hard. Yes. So thank you for all your support. We do wanna tell you tonight, we're actually having our first new members event for Liberty Hill. And if you happen to know somebody that lives in Liberty Hill, Leander, Georgetown, Cedar Park, Bertram, Burnett, any of those names ring a bell, you got friends or family, send them our way, send them our way. You can, see, you can find the registration link in the church app if you haven't downloaded that yet. Maybe you wanna do that today before you leave and you can share that with your friends and family. So I'm gonna get back to the message now. And one of the big questions that we're trying trying to answer in this series is how do we embrace God's plan for the world through the local church? What's the church supposed to look like? And I think it's at least three things quickly. I think that we're supposed to be a city on a hill. How many know a city is more than one person? It takes people and families to make up a city. Number two, we're supposed to be salt. I think a healthy local church will both preserve and enrich the community in which it resides. And number three, I think the local church is meant to be a shining light. Now, how many know that when we bring our lights together, it all shines brighter? You've been to one of those concerts, you know, maybe if you're a little older, you did the lighter thing and all of a sudden the room lights up. If you're younger, you pull out your cell phone. How many know you ain't lighting up Cowboys Stadium with your cell phone, but everybody doing it can. That's kind of the way that the local church works. Now, last week, Pastor Stephen taught a great message about how to stay together, how to remain unified, in, in which a key ingredient is learning how to live unoffendable, unoffendable. And that sounds really good. It preaches fun, and it lives hard, but it's worth it. If you missed that, you're gonna wanna go back and listen to that. But today, we're gonna continue on in our series and talk specifically about the church as a family. And, and to do that, I wanna jump into our key passage for this series found in Matthew chapter 16. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there now to Matthew chapter 16. If not, we'll throw it on the screens for you. Beginning in verse 18 from the New Living Translation, it says this. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. 
and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I want to say this to you today, and I, and I really believe this and mean this. God's plan A to reach the broken world is the local church, and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. He doesn't need a plan B, by the way, because his plans always work. We just get to be a part of it. So if we work the plan, the plan will work. And I wanna talk today a little bit more about how we make it work, how we see and relate to the church. And in the New Testament, we see the church described primarily through two metaphors. One is a family and the other is a body. This week is on family. Next week will be on the body. But as we look at the family, of God, and we look at the local church in the context of family, I think we have to take a minute and look at what Ephesians chapter 2 says here in verse 19 through 22. By the way, we preach a lot of scripture here at Vintage Church because we actually believe God's words are the most important words, right? I may say something that helps you in between, but what we really want you to get is what he has to say. So let's dive into Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no, longering, want, you're no longer wandering exiles, easy for me to say. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home and he's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation and now He's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You know, when people find out that I'm a pastor, one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, man, do I really have to go to church to be a Christian? People wanna know that. And here's the thing, here's the answer to that. Technically, no, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But here's the deal, being a Christian really isn't about just going to a church. It's more about being a part of a church. And I would say that a huge part of being a Christian, and frankly essential to becoming more like Jesus, is to be connected to spiritual family through the local church. So here's the big idea for today. You don't have to be part of a church family to be a Christian. But you do in order to be a growing Christian. We've talked about this before, so I'm not gonna spend a long time on it, but listen, what weights are for your body, I believe relationships are for your spiritual growth or development. And while you can live alone, I don't actually think you can thrive alone. People live in isolation, it actually can breed self-deception. How I many of you just sit around and just talk to yourself about yourself all day long, you can convince yourself that you're mature, that you are wise, that you've got it all figured out, and if no one is there to challenge you, that will breed a self-deception that's actually pretty hard to break out of. And this is one of the reasons that I actually welcome challenge in my life. And some people say, well, that's because you're an Enneagram 8, dude, you like challenge. Actually, here's the truth of it, I don't actually like challenge. I do like what challenge produces. So people and other men of God and women of God in my life have been challenging me for a long time and it's through those challenges that I get to get rid of stuff 
that God didn't want to be a part of me anyway. If I didn't have them challenging me over and over and over, I would not be the man that I am today. And guess what? I don't want to stay the man I am today, so I still welcome the challenge. Bring it and help me grow and be more like Jesus. And I'll do the same thing for you. Here's another thing about isolated people. Don't throw something at me if you're living in isolation, but isolated people can get a little weird, y'all. A little strange when they're around other people. They start having best friends named Wilson that's actually a ball and the ball don't talk back. You know what I'm saying? Isolation does not produce in us what God wants to produce in us. And I do want to just say a little side note here. When I talk about not living isolated, I'm not talking about a single life. God calls some people to be single. This message is not about getting married. It's not about being single. Some people are called to be single, but here's the thing. I don't think anybody's called to be alone. So we are called to be a part of the body. In fact, the Bible tells us that it's in our coming together, our belonging to one another, that we actually make up the body of Christ. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 12 and verse five says this. Since we all are one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. Here's the thing. As much as I do believe it's important to come to church on Sunday. When we say church is more than a place you go, we really mean it. And I do hope that every service you attend at Vintage is amazing. And I hope it ministers to you in really meaningful ways. We put a lot of work into that. You're gonna, find, you're gonna have a hard time finding somebody that likes to go to church more than me. I'm a church nerd. I could go visit like four churches in one day and it would be fun for me, all right? But I know this. No matter how great a church service is, and even if I happen to go to four of them in one day, whether it's one hour or four hours, sitting in a church for an hour a week will not help you become who God intends for you to be. It is a part of the ingredient, but it's like rolling out dough and baking it and saying, here's your pizza. Ain't nobody want that. They want everything else in there. We need community, and we need to give back our time and our talent and our treasure and build relationships with others. And I think we all know how important this is. I mean, who in this room can actually name the title of the last 10 messages that Pastor Stephen preached without looking it up? Nobody. I can't, and I helped write some of them. <laughs> but if I asked you, how many of you can name 10 people who've impacted your life in a meaningful way? We could just spend the rest of our time together going around the room, and you could just rattle them off. You know why? Because our life is not actually shaped by information. It's shaped by relationships. So when we get good information and then we get good uh, relationships to help us process that and grow, then we actually get transformation and that's the goal. And that's the goal. Turn to the neighbor on the left and say, you need me. Don't be giving those sarcastic looks to your spouse. I saw that. I saw what some of y'all did with that. Look at the neighbor on the right and tell them it's not actually about me. Here's the thing, you guys. Digital technology has made the access to information exponentially greater than people even 40 years ago could ever possibly imagine. But I'm, I have to tell you the truth. A podcast, a YouTube sermon, even a meta, metaverse church is not going to grow you the way relationships will over time. I love listening to sermons. I promise you I listen to more messages every week than all of you. 
I'll put money on it. I'm a junkie for listening to sermons and gaining information. But if all I got is just information, I will not become who God wants me to be. I must process that in the context of relationships. I've got a really good friend of mine, and he needs to listen to the message from two weeks ago about church hurt because he's got some, and I told him to. But he tells me almost every Sunday, he's like, hey, man, I watched church today. It was great. And I'm like, listen, because I love you, I want to tell you something. You cannot watch church. You can only be the church. You can watch a service and gain information. But I asked him, man, when is the last time Stephen Furtick responded to your text when you were broken down at 1030 at night wondering what God has for your life? You can get information from other preachers, and it's great. Do it. But you've got to have a church, a spiritual family to be a part of, to process that and become who you're supposed to be. As a church family, we don't just watch. We have to engage. We have to participate. We have to give. We have to sacrifice. We have to encourage. We have to do life together. Here's the thing. The church needs you, and you need the church. You can live alone, but you can't thrive alone. Now, I know that this pandemic has caused a lot of divisiveness and people have different opinions about how it's been handled, how it is being handled, and how it should be handled. Probably in this room, we've got a whole bunch of different perspectives on all of that. But here's something I think we can all agree on. This, this COVID era has isolated us in some really damaging ways. And depression is on the rise as a result. The CDC reported in 2020 that one out of four people under the age of 30 considered suicide that year. In 2020, in the country of Japan, more people committed suicide than actually died of COVID that year. I'm not making a political statement. I'm just telling you the isolation has caused problems in the lives of people. And the church is part of the answer. People are more depressed right now. They're more anxious right now. They're on more medication than ever before. And listen, I am not anti-medication. If you have a diagnosis and the doctor says you need something, well, do what your doctor says. I'm not your doctor. And I believe medication can work. But here's the thing. In the same way that I don't think there's a pill that can undo a lifetime of eating junk food, I don't think there's a pill that can solve the problems, all the problems that isolation produces. So you've been eating junk food your whole life, take the pills for your heart. It'll help you live longer. If you're having mental issues and you need some help, take, take it. I hope it helps you. But don't think that that's going to replace God's design for being a part of spiritual family and in relationships. You probably need both. That's just the truth of it. Medication alone is not going to solve the problem. I still think the best cure for depression is to be known and to know and to have relationships with people that will walk with you through the dark night of the soul and help you to the other side and get whatever help you need along the way. But just know that people, God's people, are always part of the solution. They always are. And as a church, as a spiritual family, here's the thing. It is both our right and our responsibility to receive that and to give that to each other. I'll say it again, as a church, as a spiritual family, it is both our right and our responsibility to receive that and to give that to each other. And here's something else we have to realize. It's, it, it's not just about trying to do everything you can for everybody. Here, here's the fact of the matter. You can't be there for everyone. You can't. 
No one can. There's a great quote from a pastor I like quite a lot. I don't know if you do. It's okay if you don't. But a guy named Andy Stanley pastors thousands of people, and he kind of has this answer when people come to him and say, man, Pastor Andy, I need some help. And his answer to them usually is, I can't help you, but we can. We can. It's the power of we. That's the power of team. That's the power, power of, of spiritual family. Because without it, we can't help everybody. But together, we can. You know, studies will show that relationships usually break down about like this. Most people, if you're blessed, will have two to five close, intimate friendships. Then you'll have about 12 to 15 real friendships. Maybe not close, but they're still there if you need them. And then you'll probably have somewhere between 70 and 150 acquaintances, depending on how extroverted you are. And that's it. And within that context and in that framework, those relationships are constantly being tested, constantly shifting throughout your entire life. I think all of us in this room can think of someone quickly that used to be in that close relationship category, and now they're not in any of them because life happens, right? It's not always for bad reasons, but, but it can happen sometimes because in relationships, in proximity, you get tested and so do they. And when we do life God's way, we can work through that. But that is the reality. You can't be all things to all people. Jesus was perfect on this earth and even he could not. He understood it. He had an inner circle of three. He had a next circle, a second circle of 12. Then there was the 72. Then there was the 120. And then there were the crowds. But here's the thing. Jesus couldn't give everything to everyone. He had to give the right thing to the right relationships. So I want to dig into that for the next few moments together, and I want to take a look at understanding three depths of relationships, three depths of relationships. And I'll spend the most time on the first one, and the second and third will go a little quicker towards the end. So don't get nervous if I sit here for a minute on the first one. The first one is a little shallow thing that I would call the mask depth. That's where I know, but you don't know. I know, but you don't know. There's things about me that you don't know, and I won't tell you. In a room this size with this many people, I could guarantee you somebody has a marriage in trouble and no one knows about it. Someone is trapped in a pattern of sin and no one knows about it. Someone is, is buried by crippling debt and no one knows about it. Because you know what we do? We mask up, not in the COVID sense, but we mask up, we become someone else, right? It's the old social media rule, like show the best, hide the rest, except we actually do that in church. Christians can be the worst about that, and I think it's kind of sad. It actually happens because, man, as Christians, we have just been real mean to each other. We've been real judgmental. You struggle with that? Oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? Instead of embracing. So, and there may be for some self-protective reasons, and we'll get into that before the message is over, but we just start to just become someone we're not. We become someone different. We do that. We kind of show the best and hide the rest. And Jesus actually had something to say about people like that in Matthew 23, 27. Buckle up, because he's not always nice like you want him to be. Jesus said this, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all kinds of impurity. Listen, if I ever spoke to someone like that, my wife would be slapping my leg into the table. Calm down. Be nicer. Be nicer. I'm glad you do that. I need your help, baby. I love you. But this is what Jesus is saying. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And the fact of the matter is, is some of us live our lives that way. I actually know what that life is like. 
I shared my testimony at a midweek some months back, so I'm not gonna get into it now, but I spent a big chunk of my life being that kind of person. And let me tell you, it's exhausting, it's isolating, and it leads to problems. It leads to death in your life. And I'm not talking about somebody that kind of struggles with sin, that fights against it, maybe that trips and falls. I'm talking about like you made peace with stuff in your life that's out of order, that's not the way God has designed it, and then you try to convince everybody that that's not really the case. That's what we're talking about. And I just wanna say this, you have to talk to somebody. You don't have to, and you should not tell everybody. But you need to tell somebody. If I was rattling those things off and you thought, shoot, that's me, I'm the one and nobody knows. Man, tell somebody. At the end of the service, we'll have people up here that'll pray for you. They're not gonna judge you and beat you up. They're gonna help you. Come tell somebody. But we don't, right? We don't. Why do we struggle with honesty? Why do we struggle with honesty? I think there's three reasons, at least three, probably more than three. We'll cover three. Number one, because we're hurt. Listen, relationships are messy, This is why Pastor Stephen spent the last two weeks first talking about church hurt, which is really people hurt that happens in the context of a church, by the way. But if you missed that one and you need it, go watch it. Last week, he talked about how we hurt each other. Talked about how to stay in relationships. Go listen to that one. I know it's hard, man, it's hard. When we talk about leaning into difficult relationships, all it preaches good, but it lives hard. And I know some of you have experienced some real stuff, like you tried being honest, but you got burned. Right, you confided in someone and then found out they went and told a bunch of people. Or maybe you got real vulnerable with someone and then the tables turned and they took that information and weaponized it against you and blew you away with it. I know that happens. But let me just plead with you today. Don't give up on all people because some people did you wrong. What's the second reason we struggle with honesty? I think it's because we're afraid. We think like, man, what will people think? We're embarrassed, we carry shame. And for some weird reason, and I've done it, and it's weird, but humans do it. We just decide I'd rather carry shame around with me every day than to have just one hard conversation and get it out. You're looking at a guy who's been through a divorce. I'm ashamed of that. I'm embarrassed to have to say that, but listen, I ain't trying to hide behind it. I'm not trying to present that I'm someone that I'm not. And here's the greatest thing. When you take your mess of a life and give it to God, he can actually turn that mess into a miracle. But he can't if you keep your mess hidden and you never bring anybody into it. So your miracle is on pause because you'd rather sit in your mess. And I'm not telling you something that I haven't had to work through in my own life. Not once, not twice, but several times in my life. Different parts of my life be messy. You gotta push through that. And bring in the Holy Spirit and bring in people to help you. And in that, in that pot of stew of good relationships and good word and the power of the Holy Spirit, he will turn the mess into a miracle. The third reason that we struggle with honesty, honestly, is because we're proud. We're proud people. We think, man, I don't need help. I ain't like them. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. Let me tell you something. There is no such thing as a DIY Christian. Does not work. There's no do-it-yourself. And I want to encourage you a little bit by telling you this, that heaven is not full of people who fixed it all by themselves. 
Heaven is full of people who got to a point and admitted, I can't fix all my problems. And they cried out to Jesus for salvation. And then they went and became a part of a local church of the body of Christ. And together, the word of God and the body of Christ brings them to a point of redemption. And those are the people that will populate heaven. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis that says this. It says this, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Sometimes when I'm counseling people or discipling them, one of the most powerful things I can do is to let them know that they are not alone. No matter what you're going through, you're not alone. And listen, confessing is not just a thing you do on the path. The Bible actually says it is the pathway to healing. James 5, 16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, say it, healed. So we surrender to Jesus to get God's forgiveness, but we confess to people to get our healing. If you wanna be fully loved, you have to be fully known. And that brings me to the second depth. And I'll go through number two and number three pretty quickly here in the next few minutes. But the second depth is something I would call blind spots. That's where you know, but I don't. That's like you got spinach stuck in your teeth and your ride or die will tell you, but nobody else will. Are your zippers down? And everybody's afraid to tell you, but somebody will. By the way, I just wanna make an agreement that we can all be friends. If I ever come out here with my zipper down, all of you will love me enough to tell me immediately. Thank you for that, I appreciate it. But listen, we need people like that in our lives. I mean, how many of you want to be the last one to know in a room something about you? That ain't fun. Everybody knows it about you except you. You need somebody who's willing to come and tell you. But when they come and tell you, when they're bold enough to do that, make sure that you receive it in grace and don't use it to create an offense. Because they're doing you a favor. They're taking a risk to come and tell you something about you that you don't know about you. Pride will say, man, get off me. I don't have spinach in my teeth while you got it hanging there. Receive it with grace. Proverbs 27, six says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A real friend, a real friend won't be afraid to tell you the truth, even if they know it might hurt you in the short time, if it'll help you in the long run. Listen, my wife loves me like, I don't understand how anyone could love me as much as she does, but I'm convinced of it. But sometimes she tells me things that doesn't feel good and she knows that it'll produce something good in me. That's what someone who loves you will do. When I get finished today, she's gonna tell me I said the word ain't too many times. I promise I'm working on it. <laughs> the truth is we're actually all called to look out for each other. Hebrews chapter three, I told you we do a lot of Bible here. Here's some more. Hebrews chapter three, verse 12 and 13 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Daily, encourage daily, why? I'll tell you why, because the voices of discouragement don't take a day off. The things you say to yourself that you should never say to yourself, those happen every day. There's a real supernatural enemy who wants to exploit you. He doesn't take a day off. So you need the right voices in your life every single day. And that brings me to the final point here on depth of relationship. And that's the depth of potential. 
you don't know and I don't know. Like you don't know what you're capable of and I don't know what I'm capable of. To say it another way, I don't think you can really know your full potential without the help of the Holy Spirit and spiritual family. Watch this, Ephesians 4, 16 says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is, healthful, is healthy and growing and full of love. So listen, I'll be honest with you. When people ask me, man, how involved do I really need to be at church? Sometimes I just wanna tell them, you should be involved to the extent that you want God to work in your life. And I don't say that because we need people. You're gonna hear this over and over and over again. We say that because we really do want more for you than we want from you. And we know that when you get involved and you do life with somebody, God will use that to build you into the person he's calling you to be. It won't happen on your own. I'm not saying God can't bring growth in isolation. Sometimes he does section you off for a minute. Just like when all your kids are acting crazy, you kinda gotta take them one at a time and deal with them individually. But I will say that growth in isolation, I believe is the exception that proves the rule. And the rule is Ephesians 4.16. We help each other grow. You know the phrase one another shows up in the New Testament over 50 times? That's not by accident. It's not by accident. I wanna close by just telling you this. Sometimes we can look at the sacrifice Jesus made for all of us. He gave his life for us. And as incredible of a sacrifice as it, as it was for Jesus to die in our place so that we could be made right with God and spend eternity with him instead of away from him. What he did was even more than that. Jesus did not die just to save us from something, though that is true. He also died to save us to something, and that is the church. That is spiritual family. That is me and you. And so our call as believers is not just to say a prayer and try to get fire insurance from hell. It's a weird way to look at salvation, honestly. But a lot of us respond to that. The call is in light of what God has done for us, in light of what he gave us, we give ourselves away to others. First Thessalonians 2, 8, my last scripture today, says this, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, so we didn't just share the gospel with you, but we shared our own lives too. This is the pattern of the early church and it is the pattern of any healthy church today. Our potential in Christ, I'm not talking about your earning potential, I'm not talking about your stratospheric corporate potential, I'm talking about your potential as a follower of Jesus is endless when we stay in relationship with him and with spiritual family. Because he's actually the one that wants more for you than from you. Bow your heads, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God for making it plain for us, what you desire for us and what you expect. Lord, thank you for choosing to work through a whole bunch of imperfect, impure vessels like me and everybody in this room. Thank you for the cleansing power of your blood and the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of community. Lord, may we embrace it. May we embrace your ways and actually be a city on a hill 
be salt in our communities and be a shining light for others to see. In Jesus' name, amen.